Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to The Private Collector. Hang on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. Bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the Weird Darkness. I'm Darren Marlar, host of Weird Darkness, where I share stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Recently named one of the best storytellers in podcasting for 2019 by Podcast Business Journal. Whether it's ghosts, cryptids, true crime or creepypastas, you'll find it all in Weird Darkness. Episodes uploaded seven days a week. Search for Weird Darkness in your favorite podcast app or listen now at WeirdDarkness.com. Private Collector, Season 1, Episode 10, The Swallows of Ega, by Aaron Vleck. The Ega Mountains were pretty as a postcard, as Martine would say, and the trail went on forever, forcing me higher and higher into the fog-bound peaks, where most of the day, I was lucky to see a foot in front of my nose. All this hiking wasn't so bad, but sleeping on the cold, hard ground with nothing but a bedroll was losing its charm. I was so hungry when I finally spotted the little roof poking through the low-hanging branches up ahead, I made a run for it. It was an open-air hut with makeshift tables and stools and straw mats hanging up for sale. This wasn't the first trailside hut I'd run across where some local mom and her daughter had a real nice racket selling food and drink. As soon as I parked my butt at one of the tables, the woman in some flowing robes kind of get up and the longest hair I'd ever seen down her back, was covering my table with small black boxes and bowls full of the steaming broth I'd damn near become addicted to in the last few days. Looking at the spread, I thought back on something the librarian had said just before I left on this latest caper and laughed. Pulling the lids off the shiny black wooden bowls and boxes, I dug in. There was steaming rice and cold-pressed spinach they called oshitashi, and pickled radish called oshinko. I gorged myself on gobo or burdock root, pickled ginger and tofu. Hell, I didn't know what half this stuff was, but it sure went down smooth. Then I finished off the mound of raw fish they called sashimi. I dipped it in some salty black sauce and the hottest little mound of green paste this side of hell's half acre. I even mastered the wooden sticks they used instead of knives and forks. 
I must have been eating with a little too much of the old gusto, because I heard a bunch of giggling and saw the woman and her daughter laughing. I guess they'd never seen a yank this far up in the mountains, much less watched him chow down. The trees were filled with swallows making their racket, but I barely noticed because the little buggers never shut up. All of a sudden, though, they went quiet, and that brought me right up. Then they flew off as one and disappeared over the trees. The woman and her daughter shot each other a glance, but didn't move. Next thing I heard was the pounding thunder of horses coming our way up the trail. Within seconds, they roared into the clearing and halted, and my jaw dropped. I'd never seen anything like it. The riders were all done up in shiny black and red helmets, and armor-looking stuff the likes of which I'd never seen. Wicked-looking swords hung from their belts, and some of them had bows and arrows slung over their backs. One thing, though, they all looked mean as hell, and I didn't think they were there for the gobo. The head honcho barked something at the woman in his language, but she just stood there defiant, glaring him down. Then, one of the riders charged the two women and scooped the daughter up and slung her across his saddle before slashing the old woman's throat with an evil-looking short sword. All this before I could even stand up and raise Cain. And then they were gone, and the place was dead quiet like they'd never even been there. I stared after them, but the forest just seemed to swallow them up whole. I looked back where the woman had fallen. I knew she was a goner, but I had to see if I could do anything. But there was no sign of her, and no blood where there should have been a lot of it. After a few seconds of stunned silence, I saw there was no sign of the hut either, and the birds were back at it like nobody's business. That's when the world shifted, like it does, and I realized the leisurely stroll was over, and it was time to get down to work. I had a book to find, a book of fairy tales, and I knew it wasn't going to be any kiddie stories. Pressing on, I traveled for about another hour before it got dark, and I made camp for the night. Putting out my bedroll and laying the hex marks all around me in a circle, I settled down, but didn't exactly fall immediately into dreamland. The yipping of small animals surrounded me, and I looked up to see a fox watching me from the edge of my circle. It trotted over, and, to my surprise, it started nuzzling me like a pup and trying to get into my bedroll. I figured it must be somebody's pet who got stuck out at night. He was a friendly little guy, so I rubbed him behind the ears and it snuggled in and melted my heart. So I pulled back my bedroll and let the thing get comfy, and then we both went to sleep, and soon I was dreaming. I was startled to a rude awakening by the sound of a woman screaming bloody murder. I shook my head and looked around, shaking off the daze, and realized the dame was in my bedroll with me, stark naked, and beating me with her fists. I screamed too and jumped up but she just kept on yelling at me, and although I didn't speak her tongue, I got the gist of it. The same in any language, except I was innocent. She grabbed my bedroll and wrapped it around herself, and then took off into the bushes, screaming to beat the band the whole way. I took off too in the other direction, figuring her people would be after me. My suspicion was that the woman was no woman, but some sort of selkie, or whatever they call them here and I wasn't planning on sticking around to answer for anything to her people. What had started out as a nice stroll through the rolling foothills 
was deteriorating fast, and I wondered why my hex signs hadn't done any good at keeping that she-fox thing out of my bed. I'd always thought it was intent, not brand affiliation, that made those things work like any of the rest of the tools of the magic trade. But I thought it wise to revisit that assumption when I was back on terra firma, back in the good old U.S. of A. I was looking for a book, but there was still no sign of anybody to feel out for signs importance of any book of the sort the librarian would be interested in. All I knew is it was somewhere here in the Ega Mountains, and old Frank Enfield wasn't leaving empty-handed. I came and went past two more huts, where a woman and a girl were selling food, and while my gut was happy, there was still no word on the book, and nobody was willing or able to talk to me. As the sun started to crawl down the horizon one afternoon, I saw somebody up ahead of me on the trail. When I reached him, I saw it was a very old man with that worn, leathery look of a guy who spends most of his life working outdoors. Wearing short pants like a fisherman, and a long shirt and wide-brimmed straw hat, he was quite the colorful character. He was pulling a wagon with a lid on it, and water sloshing out of the sides as the thing shimmied along the trail. Hey, old-timer, I made motions with my hands, signing that I'd pull his wagon for a bit and was glad when he answered me in English. My thanks to you. My, yes. What a fine young man you are. He patted me on the back with his bony hand and spread his lips in a wide, almost toothless grin and eyed me up and down. He came to a halt and pulled the lid off his wagon. I'm going to show you something you won't see every day. Oh! <laughs> Say there, that's the biggest goldfish I've ever seen. He must weigh damn near 20 pounds. 25? This is ancient carp. He's not a goldfish. He says you may be forgiven this one time, because you are new to our mountain and cannot be expected to know your manners yet. Much obliged. I touched the brim of my hat. When in Rome, as they say, nothing here matched the juju and hex ways I knew, but if nothing else, Frank Enfield was a quick study. The old man replaced the lid, securing ancient carp in his wagon, and we headed on. So, uh, just how old is he, anyway? The old fart stopped in his tracks, and narrowed his eyes at me, his teeth set. Not sure if I was asking or just pulling his leg. You know how old an old man is? This carp is ten times more, and better than that. Nobody knows for sure, and carp won't say. It's sacred law to his people. They share some secrets and keep others to themselves. Nobody meddles in carp's business, or he won't share any of his secrets. Hmm. I see. So, uh, this buddy of yours, ancient carp here, he got the juju about him, does he? That it? The what? Juju. Hex, magic. He come from the other side of things. Spirit world. Ah, just so, just so. You do understand. Carp is coming home to swim in my pond as I have won his boon, his protection. We go way, way back into the misty days of long ago, he and I. Yes, and my family before, a hundred generations ago, swam under the protection of ancient Carp, and his kin before him back to the days of... 
back to the times of so long ago, when we all swam together in the sea as one great clan. He winked and slapped me on the back harder than any old man should have had the means or wherewithal to do. We continued on for a while, and in a space of time, we came to a beautiful white-walled garden that reeked of dough big time, and then a sloping tiled roof came into view and a broad gate. We stopped out in front, and the old man turned and eyed me up and down, this time longer than I liked. Well, this is my house, so we must part ways, young man. Your way lies farther on. Say, uh, can you put me up for the night? I'll be no trouble, and you got plenty of room from the looks of it. I was hoping the old guy might give me a dry bed, and maybe some grub for my troubles of helping him with his wagon. Oh, you cannot come in here. I could see a big house that looked to be damn near a palace, and several smaller buildings of the same configuration, and pools and fountains and dozens of trees, heavy with fruit and flowers, that filled the air with all kinds of good smells. What, your boss man won't like it? Then just hide me up in one of those outbuildings, and I'll be gone at daybreak. This is my house! I have no boss man, nor any who commands me, but you cannot come in. That is all. Oh, you just continue on your way, but don't walk the path after it gets dark. It's not safe. I've slept in the woods for better than a week or more, and had no problem. I thought of the strange woman that had been a fox the night before, and how she made off with my bedroll. I wasn't looking forward to another night on the hard ground. Just so, and so it is. You sleep in the forest after dark. You are perfectly safe as long as you dream. But if you are awake, well then you are in grave danger, and there is no time to tell you about that now. Off with you, and my gratitude, young man, for your help, which was amply repaid by introducing you to ancient carp. I didn't know what to say, and turned to go when the old man yelled at me. You there! Wait a moment! He turned the wagon that held ancient carp and lifted the lid holding the fish. What, sir? Ah, I see. Yes, yes, indeed, sir. He closed the lid again and then came up beside me. Ancient Carf says you must go up the mountain two more days until you come to Igauna Castle. That is where you will find what you are looking for. I was surprised and glad for the first nibble of what I was after, and it came from a fish. What's that? Igauna Castle, young man. <laughs> White Phoenix Castle on this road, and much bigger than my humble abode of peace you see before you. Go, find Igauna. You cannot miss it. Well, thanks, and, uh, regards to old carp. Ancient carp. Regards to ancient carp for his tip. See you around, pal. I turned tail, and I was off. It was by now past sunset, and I thought of what the old man said about sleeping in the forest sounded like bunk, but I've made it a practice to follow people's advice when I'm waiting in strange juju I got no feel for. So I bedded down under a tree and opened up my pack to get out my top coat to use as a pillow when I saw my bedroll in there. But that was impossible. The foxwoman thing had stolen it off me that morning, and I knew it was no dream because I still had the scratches and bite marks to show for it. I nodded to myself, thinking, yeah, hi Juju, and nothing's what it looks like here in these mountains where the swarms of birds seem to give warning of hex, and not much else. I remembered the fiendish riders with their wooden masks like evil grins, and their murdering a woman and making off with her daughter. And then, 
how they'd all disappeared without a trace. Riders, dead woman, even the hut I'd been eating lunch at not five minutes before. This ancient carp business and the old man, who knew what the hell they were up to? So I rolled up in my blankets and hit the proverbial hay, hoping the old man was right about being safe as long as I slept and dreamed. Just to be on the safe side, I laid my hex signs out all around, even though they hadn't done a damn thing to ward off that spirit fox or whatever it was from sidling up next to me. I dozed off feeling something warm nuzzling me, but I was too damn tired to care. I awoke with the sun to the sounds of a woman screaming bloody murder, her fists and fingernails ripping into me. I'd been here before, and I remembered now, not just once before, but this same scenario had played out every single damn night since I'd set foot in these mountains. And then she was gone, my bedroll wrapped around her naked ass. I set out walking, and a few minutes later, under the bright morning sun and wide awake, I double-checked to make sure my bedroll was where it should be in my pack. And of course, it was. I stopped for lunch at the hut with the two women, the mother and the daughter, serving me gobo and oshitashi and rice and mountains of raw fish and gallons of the hooch they called sake to wash it down. I braced myself for the swallows to take flight and disappear into the distance as the sound of riders charged up to us. This time, their weird wooden masks didn't seem so strange, and the hideous grins carved and painted red didn't even make me flinch. When they grabbed the girl and set off after slitting the mother's throat, old Frankie boy didn't even bat an eyelash, and he didn't even need to look back to see the old woman's body was gone, along with the hut and all signs they'd ever been there. When I caught up to the old man pulling his wagon again, I just passed on by, tipping my hat and offering, Top of the morning to you, in regards to ancient carp. Higher and higher I climbed, keeping my eyes peeled for Ego Ueno Castle, called White Phoenix by us locals in the know. And when the moon broke through the clouds, I just kept right on walking, paying no mind to the old man and his warnings. I was a juju man for shit's sake. What did I have to fear? When I saw the paper lantern hanging from a tree branch with a welcoming flicker inside, I breathed a sigh of relief, figuring I was coming to some house where I could bed down for the night. Before long, the trees were full of lanterns, and it was real pretty. Something Martine would really love. The light snow had started to fall, but it wasn't that cold, so I was just strolling now taking in the sights, a smile on my face like I didn't have a care in the world. Next thing I knew, I was flat on my face in the snow and something was on top of me, gnawing at my neck and trying to take a piece out of me. I flipped whatever it was over and I was about to take a punch at it when I saw it was the old man, companion to ancient carp, who I'd seen on the road, how many days was it now? Only it wasn't him, or it was him, but he was changed somehow. What the hell? I recoiled. His mouth was full of broken, jagged teeth, and his eyes were shiny black orbs. His fingernails were grown to an unnatural length, and the wispy white hair on his head was damn near down to his feet. I guess a vampire is pretty much the same thing in any language, though you hardly ever saw them stateside anymore. I said, what the hell's with you, you crazy old bastard? I jumped up and kicked the thing off me where it just scrambled away on all fours, 
then lay there in the dirt, howling. Shut up with all the racket. I know what you are. You don't scare me. I've had worse than you for breakfast. What are you coming after me for? The thing glared at me. I wasn't even sure he recognized me or if he was going to make another go at me. Then he took off into the woods, naked and covered in filth. The lanterns had all disappeared, and I felt something warm trickling down my neck and realized the old bugger had nicked me a good one. Ah, shit, 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 shit. I'd been bit by a vampire. Whether he drank my blood or tainted it or just ripped me open with his old man chompers, I wasn't taking any chances. I got out my pack and took a few things from my kit. The special salve I had for the purpose, hot poultice and some spirit juice. Not holy water exactly, but you get the picture. A hex wand of the type I could light a fire and cauterize the wound. And of course, I had a few words to say, incantations and the like, over the proceedings, just so everything would be by the book. When I was done with all that business, I wanted to use every available thing in my arsenal. So I took out Coyote's shade and shook it out. Taking a deep breath, I stepped inside. Looking around, I saw nothing but blackness, with stars sparkling overhead. Not sure what else to do under the circumstances, I stepped back out, hoping that had done some kind of good. With that, I called it a night and turned in. I woke up to relieve myself and saw the mists were even thicker than usual, and drifted slowly through the trees in long flowing waves, like hair. I swear I could see faces in those mists and hear whispers and soft laughter. A few times, the stuff wafted around me, and I felt groped in ways I did not like one damned iota. So I got back into my bedroll, and I put up a more powerful hex that would send a warning to anything that might be nosing around, even though it cost me a splitting headache and a bad case of the jitters. The thing was... Aside from the undeniably weird shit that was going on, I wasn't getting anywhere besides logging in lots of exercise. Sure, it was interesting to see this Japanese juju in action, but I figured this was hardly all there was. As for vampires, if that old man hadn't been on his last leg, he could have taken me. I knew that. I knew another score, too. If I showed up stateside avoiding daylight and sporting an increased taste for rare T-bones... The librarian would put me down in a heartbeat. Knew that for damn sure. I didn't see the librarian suffering any bloodsuckers to feed on his town. And while he didn't cavort about and rub shoulders with the townspeople of Hudson, he looked after them, in his way. So I was hoping all my self-ministrations did the trick, and what passed between me and the locals stayed in these woods. The foxwoman thing had bit me too, and I was still watching for signs of any funny business off that little lapse in judgment. The next day I made better headway, and the mists lifted a bit, so the swallows were at it again, filling the trees with their incessant racket that I'd grown kind of used to. Like the canary in the coal mine kept me up on the Juju Richter scale. Just before sunset, after having dined twice at the hut with the same old woman and her daughter and twice more wondering how I was staying fed and sassy on food that wasn't quite in the here and now, as we say, I heard screams up ahead that sounded like a bunch of guys were getting disemboweled. I took to the bushes to see if I could slip up unnoticed on whatever was going on. 
I saw a clearing on the path where it widened a bit. There was a bunch of armed men, dead from the looks of what was left of them. It was the same armed crew that had assailed the woman and her daughter every day I'd been in these damned woods. Their armor was ripped open, and guts and gore was splayed out and strewn around. The birds had fled, and everything was dead silent now, even though what I saw would have been quite a horror to listen to. There were about ten guys dressed head to toe in black, their faces covered except for their mouths, and they were going to town like a pack of vultures on the corpses. In the midst of them was the woman and her daughter, their bodies naked in the color of moonlight streaked with blood, feeding right along with them. Hoping the diners were too absorbed to hear me, I snuck through the trees and finally found a place where I could dig in for the night, cover myself in leaves and branches, and hope to remain unseen. I set a hex to warn me if anyone should come nosing around, then I went to sleep, one eye open, and one eye closed like Old Coyote taught me for catching a nap in precarious circumstances. The next morning, I dealt with the screaming fox banshee thing wailing on my hide and making off with my bedroll, which was, of course, in my pack next time I checked. I'd only been on the trail for about an hour when I started looking for that weird hut. Spirit food though it was, I was that ravenous, and there was nothing else to be found. Up the trail, I saw the old man pulling his wagon, sloshing water and ancient carp inside doing whatever it was he did in there. I just sailed past them with barely a nod in a morning and a wave from the old man. A mile later, I caught sight of the roof of the food shack. I was about to stop in and grab my usual and hope I'd get out of there before the riders showed up to kill the old woman and abscond with the girl, but no such luck. They were already there and about to grab the girl, so I took off hoping to lay a wide berth between them and me. A minute later, there was no sign of the riders, and the swallows were all at full bore, and then they were gone. In the blink of an eye, they moved as one and disappeared. Over the tops of the trees, I could see a bunch of sloping roofs, like the old man's palace, only this place was done up in spades with three or four huge turreted roofs, each with several sloping layered roofs. The joint by anybody's definition was a castle, and I hoped it was Iga Oino, the White Phoenix Castle, and the end of the road, or at least the breakthrough I needed to get out of this accursed loop I was stuck in. This had to be the place. Whitewashed and rising above the trees like it did, its many roofs could be taken for the wings of not one, but a whole flock of phoenixes. A swank joint like this would have hundreds of people around. Guards, military of some sort, and probably a place where I could clean up and maybe buy a bed for the night and a fresh set of threads. I was beat tired. My last nerve was frayed from keeping on high juju alert for so long. I was also still on pins and needles about the bites I'd received from the fox woman and the old man, waiting to see if I'd be undergoing any unfortunate changes in my nature and proclivities. Yeah, it would be good to rest my keister and log in some R&R for a day or two and get some real grub under my belt. I dusted myself off and tried to look presentable and prayed somebody here spoke English. Coming up to the heavy gate, I saw to my surprise it was open. So I walked in expecting to be met by guards at the very least, but there was nobody around. 
The place was too well kept to be abandoned, so I called out. No answer. I wandered around a bit and heard voices, but they were all coming from behind closed doors. You there. I looked in the direction of the voice and saw a guy about my age working in a flower bed. Yeah, say buddy, I've been on the road for days. You speak English, thank God. Could I maybe buy some eats and a place to clean up and sack out for the night? Of course. Travelers who find their way to Igauna are always welcome. Please, you honor these walls with your presence. Come, have tea while food is prepared for you. He smiled and bowed to me, then signaled to a young boy who ran off and disappeared indoors. I noticed the guy and the kid and a couple of dozen other people, men, women, even kids, were all dressed in loose-fitting black shirts and pants and soft-soled shoes that split the foot into the toe and the rest like a hoof. And I wondered if these folks had anything to do with the cannibal crew I had witnessed the night before. The place itself was sure swell, though. Lots of little rooms with candlelight and lanterns everywhere. Flower beds and fruit trees filled the central courtyard. And odd little rock and sand formations here and there were real peaceful to look at. Over tea and a hearty spread, the man asked me all about my travels, where I'd come from and what I was looking for in the Iga Mountains. I told him what I knew, that a pal of mine back in the States had sent me in search of a book of fairy tales. He asked me why I didn't just buy such a book in the city and not bother with this long and dangerous trek through the mountains. I told him I was looking for a magic book of stories that could change the world for good or evil, that my boss wanted the book so he could stash it in his library out of the wrong hands. And you believe him, this man of yours? I do not doubt about it. I've been with him a while. A couple, three years now. He's the real deal. He nodded and seemed to believe me. Lucky for me, you speak English. Not sure what I'd do if nobody could understand me. <laughs> oh, but my friend, no one here speaks English, and there is no one here besides me. I am alone here, and now you are here. I am the caretaker of this place. No one here but me. But the kid. The people I saw walking around. The voices behind the doors. There must be... A hundred people here, at least. No, no one. And I do not speak English. Our eyes, indeed, our minds, play many tricks on us every day. We cannot blindly trust what we see, what we think we know. Did not your friend, your boss, tell you this? This was reminding me a lot of my meeting with the djinn in Cairo. The djinn who had been friends with the librarian. <laughs> You know him, don't you? You know the librarian. The librarian? No, I do not know any such man by name. But I know men such as you describe, and women. Why, <laughs> perhaps I am one myself. <laughs> so, can you help me? Any idea what book I'm looking for? Why kids' stories might be so dangerous? He just stared at me for a few tense moments. And I really felt on the spot. Was this guy going to jump up and tell me to clear out or what? The book of tales such as you describe does not sound like what a child should cut his teeth on. But then, are we ever too young to learn the hardest lessons? I asked you earlier what you had seen in these mountains. Tell me now, as it may give me some insight into your way of seeing things. And then, maybe I can help you. 
He snapped his fingers, and the boy brought a fresh pot of tea. Hey, you said there was no one here but you, but I've seen plenty of people here. What gives? I was starting to get riled. There's nothing that gets me hotter than a firecracker than feeling I'm getting played. I did say that, and I always speak the truth. What exactly do you see here? What have you seen in these mountains? Tell me all, or we waste this time we have together. And it is so precious, is it not? We never know when or how it will end. It's easy. You said there was no one here, but there's people here. And this kid. Either you're lying, or I'm nuts, or you're winding me up. Now, which is it? You gonna help me, or not? I do not know yet. Time will tell. I cannot help you if you do not help me to know your mind, and how it embraces the world around you. Alright, I'm just a dumb yank, I guess, but there's people here. Plenty of them. But you say there isn't, so we're at a standstill. And what have you seen as you walk through these mountains? Tell me of your experiences. You have seen many strange things, I think, have you not? The voice was kind, like he was coaxing a scared brat out from under a bed, and it sent me into a rage. All right, buddy. We'll have it your way. I set foot on this trail here a week ago. Very good, then. Seven days. What happened? The guy started jotting this all down in a little notebook that had materialized out of nowhere. Well, I got hungry that first day, and the provisions I'd brought from the city didn't last, so I stopped by a trailside hut and ate my fill of your vittles. Real different than what we eat stateside, but damn good just the same. Fortunately for me, there were a number of these places along the road. I guess your women folk run them. There was always a woman and her daughter. I guess that's the setup here. Is it? I've never eaten at the huts you describe. In my youth, perhaps. But go on. But that was the damnedest thing. The women were all dressed alike in long robes and such. Long hair. Uh, the style around here, I suppose. Don't get me wrong, but the women all look the same, and the girls too. I'm not one of those guys who thinks everybody who doesn't look like me looks alike, but I could have sworn. I mean, it looked like the same pair each time. But then I got confused and lost track of time. I don't know. I thought I might have I thought I might have been going in circles and had lost my way. And then one night a friendly fox came to me, nuzzled up sweet as a kitten, and crawled into my bedroll for warmth. But, um... But what, Mr. Enfield? Wait a minute here. Now hold on. You said you don't speak English. What the hell's wrong with me? How could I forget that? How can we be talking like this and you don't speak English? How indeed. What do you think, I speak Japanese? Not a word, pal. Not a word. So what gives? I just sat there. For all the weird shit I'd been through in my time, this was out of my league here. Felt like I was swimming through fog and couldn't order my thoughts. Continue with your story, please. I am a great lover of stories from a long line of storytellers who take them very, very seriously. We may make some sense of these things yet, when you have told me all you have to tell. Please, I must insist. I knew he was right, and I wanted to tell him everything. The tinkling of wooden wind chimes, the smell of wood smoke and incense, the soft gurgling of the fountain nearby made me feel very relaxed and 
strangely safe and not safe at the same time. Kind of like how I always felt in the librarian's presence. What gives here? I mean, I'm pretty much at home in Juju and Hex and the like, and I've been through a lot of systems, but I feel... I... What's in this tea, anyway? Did you slip me a Mickey or something? My brains are kind of scrambled. There's nothing but tea in your cup, Mr. Enfield. I have no need to mislead you or trick you, and I want nothing from you but to be of assistance. You came to me. You walked through my door. You found me. Now do as I ask and continue your story, please. Okay. Okay, so so the next morning when I woke up, there was no sign of the fox, but some naked woman was on top of me beating the bejesus out of me with her fists and ripping into me with her fingernails. Then she jumped up, grabbed my damn bedroll, and wrapped herself up in it and took off. Only that night, I still had my bedroll on my pack. But that's, that's right. I, I've forgotten all about that until I realized it happened three mornings in a row. That's right, yeah. And the old woman at her hut, some nasty-looking riders in weird painted wooden armor came up and kidnapped the girl and slit the woman's throat and left her to die. There was... There was nothing I could do. I was outnumbered, unarmed. Must have been ten of them, all armed. Started to run after them, but then... Then... But then what? When I came back to see if there was anything I could do for the old woman, she was gone. There was no sign of her. Even the hut was gone. And I thought I was going off my nut. So I just started walking again up the trail. Didn't know what else to do. It's like I'm remembering something from a dream, bits and pieces, and none of it makes any sense, but more and more of it's coming back now. Did you meet anyone else on the trail? I watched as the guy arranged plates of more steaming food that had appeared before us somehow. Yes, uh, yes I did. I I met an old man. A a really old guy who was pulling a wagon up the trail. I pulled his wagon for him as he walked, and he showed me what was inside. Uh, a huge goldfish, a uh, thing he called a carp. Ancient carp, he called him. He talked to it like it understood him and told me stuff the fish was supposed to have said to me, but I didn't hear the fish speak myself. We got to his place. Damn near a palace. Not as big as this, but plenty swank. But the old coot wouldn't even let me in to clean up a rest for a bit. Damned inhospitable. That night, it started to snow. As I was getting ready for bed, the old guy appeared out of nowhere and jumped me. Only I could see he was a a vampire. You know, bloodsuckers, undead things. It was the same old man for sure, but he was transformed. He was weak, and I fended him off, but not before he got a bite out of me. I rubbed the bandage on my neck. The guy's eyes widened in surprise, but he said nothing. I knew what to do, though. I did some rituals and put some juju salve and a hex poultice on it, and so far, so good. But then, three more times, I ran into the guy on the road. Just an old man again, pulling his wagon like before. Two more times, the guy jumped me at night. But the damnedest thing, I forgot all about that until just now. What gives with me? I was about to jump out of my skin when the guy pressed his finger hard on my hand between my third and fourth knuckles, and I settled down, and I could think more clearly. Please continue, Mr. Enfield. I believe we are nearing the end of your tale, 
in the journey it has taken you on through these mountains. Listen to the water. She will calm you if you ask her nicely. <laughs> I laughed at that and nodded. The water did sound real nice. It relaxed me, just like you said. Yesterday afternoon, I was coming up the trail, and as I rounded a bend, I could see a lot of people and the sounds of men screaming. So I dove into the bushes to get a load of what was going on. It was the damnedest thing. It was those same riders, the ones who'd killed the old woman and taken her girl. But they were on the ground screaming in terror and dying. There was a bunch of guys in black, just like you're dressed, crawling all over the corpses, tearing off chunks with their teeth and claws and eating it. In the middle of it all was the woman and her daughter, their bodies naked and smeared with blood and feeding with the rest of them. I did what any unarmed, red-blooded yank would do, hex man or no. I lit out into the trees and put some distance between me and them. And then this morning, I came upon the old man and his ancient carp, and apparently carp told me I was looking for this place, and, well, here I am. Now, what do you make of all that? I think it is very late. You are clearly tired, and I must think on these things in order to decide how best to help you. How to proceed in these matters. This one will show you to a place where you may rest comfortably. He gestured to the boy who stood in front of a small room, lit with candles, and what looked like a bed sent from heaven, covered with quilts. I got up like a dead man and wandered towards the room. Mr. Enfield, why did you not even ask me my name? Or marvel on how I knew yours, when you were not even polite enough to tell it to me in my own house? I blanched. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I guess I am kind of tired. What's your name, please? The man rose up proudly to his full height and bowed towards me. I am of the Nagato clan. My name is Ginjiro, which means silence. Think on this while you dream, Mr. Enfield. And then, he was gone. And I was falling into mountains of quilts as thick and soft as a bank of clouds. Thirty-six hours later, I was on a plane headed back to the States, with a lot on my mind. I had woken up the next morning in Iga Ueno Castle, with the rain falling on me. I was in the empty, crumbling ruins of what had been, just the night before, a glorious castle filled with quiet splendor and the most infuriating man I'd ever met, next to the librarian himself. Ego Ueno, the white phoenix, was nothing but a pile of rubble, with signs plastered all over it, warning about hazards and imminent renovations and yada yada and pictures of hard hats. But I hadn't left the castle empty-handed. Underneath me when I woke up was a very old book, itself threatening to crumble to dust, wrapped in seven layers of silk and tied with a red cord. I'd put it in my pack for later perusal. It had taken me a week to reach the White Phoenix, but only about a day and a half to retrace my steps back down to the valley floor. I passed the place where the old vampire man and his ancient carpet lived, and of course, there was nothing there. There were no food huts along the way either. As the plane banked away, and Japan disappeared back into the clouds, I took out the book and opened its faded cover. Red Stories Told in Black The Tales of Jinjiro Nagatu, the famous 15th century ninja storyteller, 
Jinjiro, whose name means silence, wrote stories to teach his students the many arcane sciences they would need to master the arts of subterfuge, stealth, herbs, and magic. It is said there were originally 100 such stories in all, but only these three remain for us to ponder. The old woman, her young daughter, and the ten evil samurai. Fox spirit woman takes a lover. Ancient carp and the thirsty old vampire. I stared out the window of the plane thinking, it was like Jinjiro, whose name means silence, had said. Nothing was what it seemed, and nothing I'd encountered on that mountain was real. Or maybe it was all too real, and I just hadn't made sense of it yet. I'd met and talked to and seen no living thing on that mountain, except the vast flocks of swallows that kept me company and warned me when things were about to get interesting. I'd dropped the ball. I'd forgotten things, not paid attention, missed the cues, even when the stories came to me over and over again. Even when I finally made it to Ego Ueno, the White Phoenix Castle, and met its master, long dead these many centuries, even then... I was too thick-headed, and there was nothing he could do for me, except leave me his book. It was up to me to make damn sure I was worthy of Jinjiro's efforts, and pass his stories of vampires and ninjas and foxwomen and talking carps into the librarian's hands for safekeeping, to make sure the magic of Jinjiro Nagata and his book lived forever. How many choices do you make in a day? In a year? In a lifetime? How many really matter in the end? Do you agonize over the small ones and avoid the important ones? Here on my lift, in this place where all things are possible, your choice matters. Your choices require sacrifice. Will you make the right one? Choose to listen to The Lift in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now iHeartRadio.